Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Um, we're so happy you're here, and we're moving along through the Old Testament. Summer of Heroes. Yes. If you're if you don't know what that is, and you hear us talking about it today, which you should, I mean, you should hear us talking about it. Not you should know. <laughs> you should hear us talk about it today because it's coming up because we're in it. But um, go back to a previous video or newsletter to see we're highlighting 44 heroes throughout the whole um, summer, like people that uh, which is. Mostly unknown people, huh? Yes, and we just love them. 44 people we love. Today, three. But don't get your hopes up that it's going to be extra short because we have to destroy the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. <laughs> I like how lesson. we are going to destroy them. Okay, so <laughs> get it. buckle up, everybody. So um, uh, you have those um, free downloads. That's what's behind us of just the people, if you want to kind of highlight them as we go through. We give you kind of a verse per person and sort of a lesson. Here's the heroes um, for this week, if person. you're wondering. Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah. Yeah. Okay, first thing we're going to do is we're going to put our pieces on the timeline. Um, we're going to do this twice in the lesson to try and keep your mind in the right time period. Yeah, because okay? it's confusing now because we have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So first we're going to teach about the northern kingdom. Okay, and so what we're going to put right here is Assyria. Okay, this is the nation that's going to conquer the northern kingdom in just a minute. And then this event. Just a minute, not us. Assyria. <laughs> the ten tribes in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel, they were ten tribes. And they are going to be scattered. Okay. Okay, and let's talk about the timeline for a minute before we dive into the lesson. So you remember with Solomon, then we had... Uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam that split. These guys went up to the north. These two went down. Then we get the books of Kings and Chronicles that tells us about it. And we talked about two of the northern prophets, which was Elijah and Elisha. There's going to be three more prophets here, but we're not going to come to them until the very last 12 chapters of the Old Testament. Books of the Old Testament. Yeah, the, the last 12 books of the Old Testament, we will come back to these. So don't worry that these aren't full yet because remember how we told you the, the Old Testament comes back around. So now you're going to come to Assyria is going to destroy, take over uh, the Northern Kingdom. The 10 tribes are going to be scattered. We're going to talk about that first. Then we'll come back and talk about what's happening in the Southern Kingdom second. Okay. Perfect. All right. So... Um, all of this is in the books of Kings and Chronicles. Like she said, that's why that thing is on there. These are the accounts of the kings of the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And sometimes you see the prophets kind of like in those stories. They're mostly focused on the kings and the people. And then like in the background, like of every verse or you, like the prophets will kind of show up. But then you'll actually get their teachings at the end of the Old Testament. Yeah, so this is a good time to probably talk about that. So the the Old Testament, the chronological order of it that we look at, not what's really happening, but like the way we read it, we read the history first. And it is going to end with Esther. 
Okay, that's where the history of the Old Testament ends. Then what happens is, after they've told you the whole history, the story, then they go back in and they tell you all the prophets, the spiritual things of the Old Testament. That's the second half of the Old Testament. But it gets confusing for us when we're looking at it for a couple reasons. First, because there is a whole northern kingdom now that is going on that does their stories are separate to the southern kingdom that is going on. So we have the history of the northern happening at the same time as the history of the southern happening. Plus, we're going to come back around with the spiritual history afterwards. So sometimes there's all these names happening that you're like, wait, what king did he go with? What prophet did he go with? What kingdom was he in? That's what we're going to try and help you with the timeline is to be able to say, okay, these people were in the Northern Kingdom. This is when it was destroyed. This is the tribes that got scattered. This is the prophets that went with them. This is the Southern Kingdom. These are the kings. This is the storyline that was happening. This is their prophets. And this is what happened to Jerusalem. So two different storylines happening on top of each other and then with a repeat. Yeah. So up at the top of the journal, you'll see these are some of the prophets. This is just a sneak peek to the end of the book. Some of the prophets um, that go with the Northern Kingdom. And here are some of the prophets that go with the Southern Kingdom. Some of those names you're going to recognize. Some of these names we already did. Elijah and Elisha, for example, were prophets to the Northern, Northern Kingdom. And this side of the journal, if you're using the journal this week, is going to talk about the Northern Kingdom. This side of the journal is going to talk about the Southern Kingdom. Okay. They happen at the same time, and they're recorded in two different books, <laughs> Kings and Chronicles, okay. right? So you might have to watch yeah. this first part five times, and then you'll be like, oh, I get it. Yeah. I get what's happening two now. Two kingdoms. And two different books are talking about both of those kingdoms. So it's kind of like, oh, everybody really wanted you to know about the Northern and Southern Kingdoms stories. They get repeated twice, and then you get the spiritual teachings on top of, on top of them later. <laughs> Comprende? Okay. okay. So Northern Kingdom of Israel. This is the kingdom we've been with already because Elijah and Elisha have been prophets to that Northern Kingdom. Of all their kings, none of them have been good. And you have, I'm sure, within the kingdoms, um, some spotty spots, like people who are listening to the words of the prophets and are making changes in their lives and inviting the worship of the Lord and the protection of the Lord back into their lives. But for the majority of the people, they are not. Yeah, because we saw some of those stories last week, the widows, right, the right. great woman. That there were people who were living in that time who were trying to listen to the prophets and hosted them in their yeah. homes. But the majority of the people are going to look like what we're going to talk about right, and, right now. And Jesus is actually going to make a point to talk about those particular people. When he's in Nazareth announcing his Messiahship and, and people want to reject him, he brings up some of those stories that we went over last time and says, I know... Israel's always rejected holy people. You remember back in the day, only Naaman, Naaman, the outsider war general accepted. And only that widow from Zarephath, another country, she accepted. So they were the exceptions, but interestingly, they were outsiders who yes. were kind of the ones who, who were, were interested right, embracing. in those prophets. And um, it might help, and I'm just going to show you right here. This is our tip-in we put in a couple weeks ago. Because one of the things that you do want to remember, these are the kings. 
So the kings of Israel, the northern, um, if you look right here on this side, you're going to see all of them bad. They just were bad kings. That Elijah and Elisha are working in this place where just none of the kings are good. In the southern kingdom, when we'll talk about this in a minute, some of the kings actually were good. They turned the people around. Um, this is partly why the southern kingdom will last longer, is because they do listen to the prophets and they try and turn their life around. And we're going to watch both of those things today. But we're starting with the northern, which is just a, a series of bad kings, bad choices, um, one right after the other. And then this is what is going to happen. So we just had this long column and we titled this column A Broken Covenant and it's almost a list. This is a list of what, what were the attitudes, what was the heart and what were the actions of the people of the Northern Kingdom. Um, it can be a little indicting when you read it mm. and, to, and which is good, which is I think why the story is included to kind of say like, oh, do I mirror the Southern Kingdom on this page or do I mirror the Northern Kingdom more? At least these kings that we're going to, to highlight. So, yeah, like a self-inventory. Right. So over on the left, here's just a, let's some highlights in there and verses 7 through 23. You can read all of that and, and study that. But here's just a couple highlights from it that you might um, want to see. Verse 7, uh, the children of Israel sinned against the Lord their God. Now, this one's interesting. I brought this because it goes on in 7 and says, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt and set them free from Pharaoh. Um, they didn't, I think it's interesting that the writer there doesn't just say they rebelled against God, but they rebelled against the God who'd been so good to them. Mm. They sinned against not just the Lord, but who is the Lord? He's like, the one who rescued you, the one who's fought your battles, the one who has set you free. They have bit the hand that feeds them, mm. you know, in other well, words. Well, and that is so interesting when you say that because it does make me want to think in my mind, when you have known the Lord and you have known His goodness and you have experienced miracles, tender mercies, deliverance, answers to prayer, um, that's different than just choosing to leave religion. Right, yeah. You know, it, it is interesting because you're like actually choosing to walk away from someone who has cared for you yeah, and watched yeah. over you. And I think that's really interesting because you'll see on the right side, we talk about rituals that strengthen relationship. And that's the key here is they aren't walking away from the rituals of the faith. They're walking away from the relationship. Mm. And that's what that verse makes clear. It's like they didn't want to break away from the traditions of religion. They broke away from a person. They rejected the the person himself. Um, and verse eight then explains they did that by walking in the statutes of the heathen. Remember we talked about last time or two times ago or something, everyone has a king, everyone mm. has influencers and everyone's obedient to something. They chose to be obedient to the statutes of the heathen, of, of the rules of the, of the world. Is yeah, what the they, culture, right. the society. Verse eight. That's what they chose. Nine, you can tell is deliberate because in verse nine, it says they did those things secretly that were not right before mm. the Lord. This wasn't like um, ignorance. They knew what they were doing was a rebellion, and so they did it um, secretly. Verse 10 is interesting because I promise I won't go through every verse. It just happens that some of the good ones are right in a row. Verse 10 says they set up their images in their groves. Anytime you see those two words, those are code words for 
pagan temples and pagan rituals. And we've talked about how nasty some of those yeah, pagan child, rituals Child were. sacrifice. Um, the prostitution. So anytime you see those, you're going to see them with the kings on the, on the southern kingdom in a second. So groves, high places, images are all three words that are the Old Testament will use again and again and again to talk about the, this pagan, um, immoral, violent, murderous worship style is what we're talking about. So it says in 10, they set up those images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. That is probably an exaggeration, but it's making a point there that there was not a tree in there that they didn't set. It was was rampant. It was everywhere in the whole place. Um, 12, they served those idols. Again, that choice. We're all gonna serve someone. And they chose to serve those idols Other words like rejected, they ignored in verse 13, all the prophets and all the seers um, that were sent to them. And then there's this interesting verse 22, last one for this list, because it's such a sad list. You're like, okay, stop. Um, In 22, it says, for the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they departed not from them. Hmm. Now, Jeroboam, if you want timing, if you want timing, Jeroboam was about 922 BC. That's when the kingdom split. And when he decided to build the new temples up north. It's now 722 BC. So they have not departed from those ways of Jeroboam. They've been passed down now for 200 years. They just keep passing them and passing them and passing them. And I think it's interesting that it says they departed not from them, implying they could have departed from those ways. They could have made a change. They could have turned themselves back. You'll see examples of that in just a second of people who did, but they didn't. They chose not to. And I think there's a lot of mercy in the fact that he sent all the prophets and all the seers and and gave 200 years, you know? Yeah, and I love looking at this. Well, I don't love looking at it because it makes me sad, but realizing God will not allow wickedness to continue for very long, that there will be an end. Either they can repent and return or there will be a destruction that comes and ends that wickedness, the things that were happening under the groves, God is not going to let that go on forever, which brings me comfort to think when we get to a point where we as a culture and as a society are so wicked that there is no chance for return, God will end the suffering. Which is merciful in and of itself, right? To not let it continue. And what's interesting is you'll see right here and you'll see with the other kingdom Um, It is just a natural consequence. God just stops preserving them because they asked him to back out of our business. And they will just get swallowed up in the natural consequence of the world that they live in. Like the scripture will talk about, and the Lord punished them, but it's like really they punish themselves, right? They just, they're experiencing the natural consequences of sin. And verse 23 is a verse that you will be Um, familiar with the idea of it, you will be at least. And it says, until, and they departed not from him until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land unto Assyria unto this day. And so those northern kingdom was 10 tribes. The northern kingdom was called Israel. So we call this event, the scattering of Israel, 
And we now call those 10 tribes lost 10 tribes because they are lost to history. They're like, they've been scattered. They've been, they've intermarried, sold off. Some of them escaped and ran away. Um, Some of them escaped to the Southern kingdom um, before the destruction actually came. And they just, now they just amass dispersion of all these people. And I think it's interesting when we read in the Book of Mormon and it talks about they were ripening for destruction. Um, 17 is a really good chapter to read and be like, okay, this is actually what it looks like to become ripened Mm. for destruction. We're going to see it here. We're going to see it again at the end of the lesson. We're going to come back to it one more time. Okay. So let's add these other two pieces onto this timeline. Okay, because so, now we're done with this. So this was the that's split. the end. We just ended the northern kingdom. The ten tribes are scattered. Uh, we talk about it, the second coming. Those lost ten tribes will return again. These are the ten tribes we're talking about. This is the people that we're talking about when we talk about that. Okay, then now we're going to add these two kings on. We feel sad we forgot a third um, sticker on here. But For it just Josiah? Was the, yeah. We should have made him a sticker. He feels yeah. really sad about it. Josiah, Emily's the one who forgot it wasn't me. <laughs> it's the case we ever meet in heaven. Okay, so that we are putting up two yeah. examples of two kings, two righteous kings. So remember on that list, some of the kings were good in the southern kingdom. And uh, spoiler alert, they're going to be destroyed at the end of this lesson. But it's about 200 years after the northern kingdom. And the reason they're going to stick around much longer is because these great leaders rally the people back to the worship he, of the Lord. When he says they're going to be destroyed, he's talking about southern, Judah, yeah, the, southern the southern kingdom. kingdom. Not these two men. They don't live for 200 years. Yeah, The southern kingdom will be destroyed in 200 years. But these, we picked out actually three of the good prophets. Now, kings. Three uh, the of the good, good kings. kings. Um, if you want to remember about the kings right here on the timeline, this says 19, zero, 19 bad kings, zero good kings until they were destroyed. 19 total, zero of 19 oh, is what that okay. is. Yeah. 19 total, zero good kings, uh, but also the same, 19 bad. Of this one, 20 total and eight were good. Yeah. So we're going to tell you three of the good kings is all we're going to give you and then we're going to dive into some of the prophets yeah three of the eight okay so the first one we're starting with is jehoshaphat and he actually we just kind of looped him in to the kings in today's reading this week's reading you actually will read about um hezekiah and josiah but we also looped in it felt thematic to bring jehoshaphat in he is a king of the southern kingdom at the same time that King Ahab and Jezebel are king and queen of the northern kingdom. And we did their stories with the fire on the mountain and everything. So you remember when uh, Jezebel and Ahab are the ones who were chasing after Elijah when he goes up and says, I, only I am left. There's no one else who's good in the whole kingdom. It's me. It's me only. I remember when Jezebel was going to kill him. And then you have Ahab, who is that king. Who came right. down the mountain when the rain came with the right. little hand. Yeah. Okay. They're going to go to war. And Ahab is going to reach out to Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom and say, I actually need help fighting this battle. And it's good for you because once they come through me, they're going to come through you. That's what's going to happen. So it's in your best interest to join. Um, 
Jehoshaphat is probably one of our favorite kings in the whole Bible. He isn't in um, Come Follow Me, so he's like a surprise addition uh, who you're going to love when we get to him. And and because, remember, their stories are in both the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, we'll be jumping back and forth between sometimes the in the book of Kings. Same storyline, just retold in two different books. Okay? For some reason, we love the writer of Chronicles. We just, we're like drawn to the writer of Chronicles more than we're drawn to the writer of Kings. So we'll take you in there sometimes just because he's a good storyteller. Yeah. Okay. One change on the journal, sorry, is <laughs> under Jehoshaphat, the story told in Kings, it's actually 1 Kings 22. Right here, do you see under Jehoshaphat? Um, 1 Kings 22 instead of 2 Kings 22. That's where you'll find one version of the story, but I think you're going to the Chronicles I'm gonna, Yeah, version. I'm going to take you to the Chronicles one because it is my favorite. Um, so we're going to start in 17 just quickly because that's where we get introduced. Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 17. Yep, Second Chronicles 17. Jehoshaphat is going to reign. In verse 3, we find out the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David. And he sought to the Lord God of his father. And he walked in his commandments. And he did not after the doings of Israel. Right? He, he was not doing what was happening in the northern kingdom. He, his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Um, and... Um, he had prophets that would go out and teach Obadiah. Oh, oh is and one. don't skip that part at six because th we just talked about that. Oh, yes. And he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. Remember we talked about those? That's so those high places, groves, images. One of the things he does is he tears Takes them down, down, removes them. And he sends prophets, Obadiah, Zechariah, right? We're going to hear about these. Nathaniel, we're going to hear about all these prophets. And the other prophet who you love is Micaiah. So just keep that name in your mind as we tell this story. And they went and started teaching in all of Judah. So that's um, kind of who he is. Um, Jehoshaphat, it tells us in verse 12, waxed great exceedingly, and he built in Judah cities um, and castles, and he had much business there. And the men of war, the mighty men of valor, were also in Jerusalem. So that you just want to imagine that kingdom. What happens is Ahab comes to Jehoshaphat. He can see Jehoshaphat has got a really good kingdom running. And he's also really good at fighting battles. So Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, you come and fight this with me. And um, Jehoshaphat says he will go. What is normal for Jehoshaphat is to always seek the Lord first. That is his behavior. That's how he does everything. Um, we're, you're going to find out in a little bit later, we're going to see that, that he just sets himself to seek the Lord. That's the pattern of his life. Except for for some reason, he doesn't do it this time. He tells Ahab, I will come. I will bring my army. I will come to you. And he goes. And I'm going to be in chapter 18 of Second Chronicles now. And he gets there and he says to um, Ahab, when he gets there, Ahab says, will you go with me into this battle? And he says, I am as you are and my people as your people and we will be with thee in the war. And right off the bat, we are going to realize something because Jehoshaphat obviously does not know Ahab because he is not like Ahab is and his mm. people are not like Ahab's people are, but Jehoshaphat just doesn't know. He's entering into this relationship with someone he doesn't know. This is one of my favorite stories to teach the youth. 
um, the story of Jehoshaphat. So those of you who are teaching um, the youth in Sunday school or young men, young women, or if you've got kids at home, there is a really good lesson in this story because he aligns himself with someone he doesn't know the character of. That's what happens. And he gets there and he says to Ahab, can you pray uh, at the word of the Lord this day? Because that's how I usually do things, right? And now we all know Ahab, everyone. Is he going to pray? Um, probably not because remember, he hates God. And he says um, he gathered his prophets, 400 men, and said, should we go to battle or should we not? And all the prophets said in verse 5, go up for God will deliver it into your hand. And Jehoshaphat is watching this whole thing. And this is when he starts realizing, oh, wait a minute. This is actually not how I do things. So he says to Ahab, is there a prophet of the Lord besides that we could ask him? I'd feel better about that. And in verse seven, the king of Israel, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, well, there is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. He says, that's the true life scriptures because he never says anything good to me, but always evil. Okay. That should be a clue, right? <laughs> to him that he's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if God is always agreeing with you <laughs> and always likes what you like and never ever says that you should correct or fix anything, either way to go Idaho or. <laughs> You might be creating him in your image. You might be just yeah. handpicking the things that you want to hear, which seems like is what he's doing right here. Yeah. Right? We're and, just like, and he, doesn't he never want to says listen. anything nice to me or good to me. He always tells me <laughs> to do, you know, to change and yeah. all I, the things. And also it worries you a little when he's just like, I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay, hold on. And um, so they say, fetch quickly Micaiah, have him come. This is going to be the prophet. And... So they sat, both of them, in verse 9. I just love this picture. It says this, The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes, and they sat in this place at the entering of the gate, and they are waiting for this prophet to come, both of the guys on their throne. And all the prophecies, all the prophets that are there keep saying, Go, you can go. You're going to prosper. It's going to be fine if you go. And they send for this servant, and the servant says to Micaiah, Listen, this is what everyone else is saying. All the other people are saying, go. It's going to be fine if you go. Just say what all those people <laughs> say. Is it going to be better for you if you just agree with them? And Micaiah says in verse 13, as the Lord liveth, whatever my God says, that's actually what I'm going to speak. So he goes in there and, um, and Micaiah tells him, okay, this is what I see. I see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And remember what's going to happen? Like we already know what's going to happen to Israel. Right. We've we seen it. They are going to be scattered. This is what Micaiah is prophesying right now. And I love that as soon as he's done saying that, Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat in 16 and says, uh, or in verse 17, he says, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good to me, <laughs> but only evil? Like he, he says this every time, all these bad things are going to happen. He is not right. And so he says um, to him, they tell him, put him, put this fellow in prison. He says in verse 26, he's talking about Micaiah, feed him with the bread of affliction and with the water affliction 
until I return in peace. And you love that Micaiah is just so uh, sassy. Sassy. He is. He says this to Ahab. If you certainly return in peace, then the Lord did not even speak by me. And then he goes away. So he's like, well, we'll just Which see Which is pretty happens. bold to say in front of everybody in yeah. the courtroom, right? Yes. He's like, if you come back alive, consider me not a prophet. Yes. Bye. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so but then uh, Ahab starts getting a little nervous because he, Micaiah must have been like, you know. And so the king of Israel says, I'm going to disguise myself to go into the battle but you wear your robes, he tells Jehoshaphat. The so, kingly robes, yeah. The kingly robes. So Ahab gets all disguised. He's Now he's a little nervous because he's like, well, what, what if that guy's right? But he tells Jehoshaphat, you're fine. You go ahead and wear all your king stuff. And so they go into battle. Well, the king of Syria told his people, I only care if you kill Ahab. That's it. That's the only person I care if you kill. So you just be watching for him. And so it came to pass in verse 31, when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they were like, that guy must be the king of Israel. He's the only one dressed as a king. So they came around him to fight, but Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him. And God helped Jehoshaphat escape from this situation. And then what happens in verse 33 is that a certain man drew a bow at a venture. I love this so much that he's just, just like, randomly. should I just shoot this bow off into the air? And it's, it's, it flew and it smote the king of Israel, Ahab, behind the joints. And he said to his chariot man, turn your hand because I'm wounded. And the battle increased that day. Howbeit the king of Israel stayed himself up in his chariot against the Syrians until the evening. And then about the time of the sun going down, he died. Okay, hmm. that's the end of him. The end. And Micaiah was like, well, I told you. So Jehoshaphat goes home. Now, we don't even know what happens. He like gathers all his people. This has been a disaster, right? It's been a disaster. He comes home and he goes in peace to Jerusalem. And um, the prophet comes out in verse 2 and says, Jehoshaphat, should you help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Like, do you see a problem with this? So it, it says, therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. But I love this, that he's like, okay, you made a mistake. And he's not afraid to point out the mistake. This is the mistake you made. You helped someone who hates God. That, that's what you chose. You helped someone who hates the Lord and who hates his prophets. And that wasn't good. But I love when he then says in verse three, nevertheless, there are good things found in you. And um, one of those things, one is that he took away all those groves. But the other thing is you prepared your heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat's going to learn a lesson from this because there's going to be another battle that comes in chapter 20, which might be one of your favorite battles in the whole Old Testament. Um, that He finds out from his men there is a great multitude coming from beyond the sea, right? And, and it's coming from Syria. And in verse three, Jehoshaphat is going to do it different now. Um, he did it the one way with Ahab. He tried to figure it out. It did not go well from him and for him. And I love that one of the things that we learn from Jehoshaphat is you can actually make a mistake. You can actually pick the wrong friends. You can actually enter into a situation that at the end, someone might say to you, can you see how it maybe was not a good idea to be friends 
with him and to go to that thing and to make those decisions. But it's okay because your heart is good. Your heart is good. And God is going to let you maybe not have a do over, but he's going to let you have a do better next time. And so here comes this battle. And instead of doing what he did last time in verse three, it says Jehoshaphat feared and he set himself to seek the Lord. That is the number one thing that he does. And so all of Judah gathers themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Out of all the cities, everybody comes to seek help from the Lord, which has been Jehoshaphat's normal pattern. And I love that he's like, well, now I made that mistake so I can never do that again. No, he says, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to set myself to seek the Lord. And they all came. Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and they all gathered in the house of the Lord before the new court. So everybody comes to the temple. Now, do you remember when we talked about in first Kings, I think it was eight when it was the dedication to the temple. Yeah. And there was that whole dedication that was like, if evil comes upon you, uh, if a great battle comes, if any of these happen, if you have persecution, if you have famine, if you have any of these things, then you will come and stand at this house and the Lord will hear you in this place. Okay. This is this moment. Jehoshaphat is like, I remember what happened in the temple dedication. This is what we are supposed to do. And he says this, he prays in verse six, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And don't you rule over all the kingdoms everywhere? And is there not power and might in you that you, no one can withstand you? And then he says this, you told us if in verse nine, when evil comes upon us as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, if we stand before this house, and in your presence, for your name is in this house, and we cry unto you in our affliction, then you would hear and help. And I love that he's like, I'm going to go back to the promise. I'm going to go back to the dedication. We talked about maybe going back and reading through the temple dedication in your area where you live right now. And I love that Jehoshaphat is like, I'm going to take you to your word right now. I'm going to hold you to that. You said you would hear and help. And then I love this prayer in verse 12 when he says, Oh, our God, we have no might against this great company that's coming against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I just want you to think about in your life right now, what is that great battle? What is that thing you have no might against? I love that prayer when he's just like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't even have a solution to propose. That's how big this is. I I, I can't even like help you try and think. There's not even 16 stones right now to carry to the top of the mountain. I don't know what to do. And I love that in verse 13, it says, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And I just, I picture that. I picture those moms with their babies so nervous. I picture all those men in their battle ready armor. Everybody is like, what are we going to do? Jehoshaphat saw what happened before. He knows what is in front of them. And I love that the spirit of the Lord comes in the midst of the congregation and says, be not afraid in verse 15, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. And I love the thought of that, that he, God looks down and he's like, Jehoshaphat, you came to me first. 
You told me the problem and this is not your battle. This is my battle. I fight for the people who call themselves my people. That is what mm. I do. And then I love when it says in verse 17, you shall not need to fight in this battle, but set yourselves and stand ye still and watch the salvation of the Lord, which I think is a really interesting thing that happens because how hard would it be? Jehoshaphat saw what the army could do. Mm. How hard is it to just stand still? Do nothing, right? Yes, and, and trust the Lord that much. Like, do you trust the Lord that much? Do I? In the situation that I'm in to be like, this is, feels really big. This feels bigger than us. In, in fact, we don't even know what to do. And God's like, uh, you should stand still. And my personality wants to be like, no, we should do something. Well, and I feel like culturally we have that kind of, that sort, like the stories we go to are the brother of Jared, yeah. go get the stones and go do something about it. Like God only helps those who help themselves. Like, and yeah. there's some truth to those principles, but it seems there are some times when God says, stand still, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this battle for you. And those, that might be harder. That might be harder than like, Okay, what do you want me to do? Let me go get the fish and the loaves and yeah. at least give you something to for this. With. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, what I want you to give me is your trust in this particular situation. Yes. Right? And so, I mean, there is something really cool, though, about, too, that um, I love that whole that whole concept of him gathering all those people together right. for well, the problem. And what he does. And what he does in this moment, um, because not only is everyone there. But, and keep saying what you were going to say. But uh, then I want to say what happens next. Oh, well, just that every like there's something about like I'm facing my problems all by myself, you know, but there's something about facing, you know, that, that problem all together, mm. like everybody kind of coming together for it. Just this past weekend, uh, just a good friend of ours um, gathered everybody together it was fast Sunday to pray and fast for their baby, you know? And there was mm. something about very Jehoshaphat about that to just like, and there in that situation, there really is nothing anybody could do. And the answer really was stand still, you know? Yes. But, but together, I, together, right? Yes. There's something about That's that so gathering awesome. of people together that is sweet to me about this story. And the same thing in there. So that gathered together, that standing still, but Jehoshaphat does something so interesting in that moment. Before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you this story that I love from a book that I read a long time ago. But what was happening is this ship had become derelict on the ocean. What? That, derelict. Do you know what derelict means? No. It means it just didn't work anymore. Oh. It, was, it was broken down. Broke down? down? Oh. It was broke down. <laughs> derelict is the word for broke down. <laughs> okay, well, you don't read enough proper romance Oh, books. Can a car be derelict? Maybe, but I think maybe only a book. Why is that in a proper romance novel? Does that come up all the time? Just Broken sometimes. down boats? Yeah, because they're oh. like in the 1900s. How do you think people travel by boat? Oh, okay. Okay, so they're broken down at sea. Derelict. Derelict. They're going to die. They've run out of water. They have nothing left. And the captain realizes they're going to die. And so he put, puts on his white gloves and he calls out the band. And he says, this is our last night. This is the Titanic. I haven't seen the Titanic. No, the, it's the real story. No, it's not. It didn't. It <laughs> happened in the 1900s. Oh. 
He calls out the band. This has a happy ending. It's in oh. a proper romance novel. Oh. And well, call- they bring out a band as the Titanic is sinking. Okay, I didn't see that. To play. This that has a sad ending, though. So oh. shh, don't tell that story. <laughs> this guy calls out his own band, and he's they're going to play a song. Maybe that's just what you did on a derelict ship in the 1900s. <laughs> but what happens in this story is another ship hears the band. Oh, really? And yeah, it comes. <laughs> And it rescues everybody on the boat. And so this is what I love about Jehoshaphat. He puts on his white gloves and he calls out the band. That is what is going to happen right now. Which I love because standing still is hard. And especially if you hear the whole battle around you and the sounds of the battle and you're just standing still in silence, that is really hard. Mm -hmm. And I love that he's like, okay, everybody in verse 20, he's like, this is what you guys have to do. Your job is believe in the Lord, your God, and then you will be established and believe in his prophets and you will prosper. He says, and then after he had told that to the people, your job is to believe. That's it. You just believe that's your job. He appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments around all of that army coming in and they fought each other. They all fought each other, all the people who had gathered together and they, uh, And they were smitten, it says. Have you heard that word before? Yes. (laughs) And in verse 23, it says, everyone helped to destroy another. And so when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked at the multitude and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth. And, um, and, And who was left is just these people believing and singing and mm. praising the Lord. And I love the lesson that we learn here that sometimes when things are super hard, Sometimes the best thing you can do is turn on that music that is going to remind you about the Lord and about his mercies and that he will go out before you and his battles. And if you have thoughts coming because the battle seems so big that are not going to allow you to believe, then put on your white gloves and call out the band. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you have to do in those moments. Well, you can use our playlist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, our Old Testament Testament playlist, yes, um, which is on Spotify, and um, we'll stick it up somewhere where you can find the link and follow it, because sometimes you just need that. Anyways, do you guys love Jehoshaphat? Is he one of your favorite kings you've ever met in your life in the Old Testament before? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Someone should answer for you. Um, Uh, Okay, okay, who's next? Next is Hezekiah. So... Jehoshaphat, remember, was back a little bit. Today, you're actually going to be, he's in the reading of what you're going to be looking at right here. And you see something about him that he is, he is super similar. Um, I think maybe if we start in the king's spot. Is Do that you want, you to, want to no, start? No, I want to start in Second Chronicles 31. 31? Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, say what you want to say about Jehoshaphat, his oh, hero line. Yeah, his hero line is going to be, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. You're going to notice something similar about all of these people. This week, every hero, something to do with his heart. So Jehoshaphat, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. We love that about him. Okay, then you have the same thing. You meet um, Hezekiah also, and you'll see really, really similar lines about Hezekiah. Right when you meet him in verse 29, 2 Chronicles 29, he started to reign um, when he was 25 years old. And it just says, um, he also, in that first year of the reign, in the first month, 
He opens up the house of the Lord and repairs them. And he brings back in the priests and calls for holiness and sanctification. And there's something that's really cool about like his very, very, I think you can tell a lot about a leader when you discover what is their very first mm. move yeah. that they do. And one of the very first things that he does, and maybe he learns this from Jehoshaphat, is he brings the people all together to worship and um, to praise. And he says to all the people, Second Chronicles 29, verse 10, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the God of Israel. That is first year, first month. That's the way I'm going to lead this people. As for me and my house and my kingdom, I have a heart to make a covenant with, um, with the God of Israel. Um, and, and that's what he does. And like Jehoshaphat, verse 15, gathers everybody together, sanctifies them. And, and, uh, and verse 28 the congregation worships, the singer sang, the trumpet sounded, and he puts on his white gloves and he calls in, in the band. Um, and, and I love too that you just made me think of something. So I was just checking to see that the king before him actually was not good. Right. So he was not following in the footsteps of someone who was righteous where they were like, well, of course we're going to do that. He actually takes over the government from someone who has polluted all of society right. and the culture. So it makes it even more remarkable that in month one, he's going to stand up and be like, we're actually going to do things different. Yeah, because generally some good advice is when you take over, you should like give it a minute, you know, and just yeah. instead of coming in and swinging and start cutting things down and changing everything, it's just like, hold on. But already before he was ever in charge, he's 25. Can't you see him just like chomping at the bit when he's 24? Like yes. I, I have to take over. Yes. And finally, when it's his, it's his right to take over in the succession of kings, month one, day one, day one of month one, immediately he reopens the doors of the temple and he says, this is the, the very first thing I'm going to do. It reminds me of, and now it's just like a fuzzy memory. See if you can remember. Oh, I can't wait. This Q&A that happened with Elder Bednar where somebody asked him, um, was talking with him about if you were a stake president again, what would you do? And um, his answer was, "Oh, I would get my people back to the temple." Oh. Let me let's see if we can find that and and yeah. link to it okay. because that that's really so that's really Write cool. Reminds you of Hezekiah a little bit. The other thing I love about Hezekiah too is he sets up tithing. Um, so if you've ever wondered mm. if there's tithing shown before Malachi talks about it, it's in Second Chronicles thirty-two. Um, and they bring these heaps and everyone brings their tithe to the temple and they put them in these heaps is where they put them in. And I love when Hezekiah comes to be like, how is it going? Like, how are the people doing with the heaps? Um, they tell him there's, they bring so much stuff and, and too much is what they bring. Which hold chapter on. did you I say? You say said something wrong. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did. But hold on. I didn't even mean to say 31. Now I have to go back and find where are the heaps because I love the heaps. Uh, no, it's 31, 6 through 10, everyone. Let's see if that's true. Yeah, there's yeah. the heaps. Yeah, 6 through 10. Um, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty, for the Lord has blessed his people. That's how they started, is with that. And, and he serves, he reigns. Well, it's interesting how simple of a change some of these things are, right? Where he's like, I brought back temple worship. I'm bringing back sacrifice through the through tithing. Yep. And uh, he reinstitutes the Passover again. He was like, we're going to celebrate a ritual feast again is yes. what we're, we're going to do. Yes. That's what we're going to do as a people. And it's okay 
to bring those things back. It's okay to look at a culture and a society and say, you know what we might be missing right now? Is rituals that strengthen relationship. Yes, right? we might be missing that. And, and he teaches that as part of it. And I think both of those are important. Rituals have their place that's really important. They create that rhythm that mm-hmm. you were talking about with me. last week, yeah, yeah, or whenever that was. But it has to be coupled together with relationship, right? They yes. cannot be, um, they cannot be, they're, they're powerless without being tied to relationship. Yeah. Well, and I love that you actually need both. Like a relationship strengthens through actually rituals or, or routines, holy rhythms right. that bring you deeper into relationship. Yeah, because, and, and even with any kind of relationship, right? You're going to say, well, what is it that strengthens a marriage relationship or a, a friend-to-friend type yeah. of relationship? And it's actually, you might not use the word ritual, but what you would describe is ritual. You yeah. would say like, oh, you spend time. And you're like, how and often? Uh, you reach out. How often? Yes. You go on dates uh, together. How Like you yes. create rituals. And ritual without relationship also... Is dumb. Yes. Yeah. You, you would give up on it eventually. So it's so Exhausting interesting to watch him. Exhausting probably the best word. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> he's <dumb. laughs> bringing in um, these rhythms that are going to help people develop relationship. And what are ours? That's what it makes you want to think about. What right. are our rhythms that are, or our rituals or those sacred, the holy things we participate in that are actually developing relationship? So well, yeah. I just want to say too, because like, yeah. when we were just in Israel leading those tours mm. there, we witnessed that there. And and one of the ones that we witnessed was the, the bringing in of the Sabbath oh, at yeah, the Western so Wall. And we would talk to people and there are people who come there every Sabbath or some people come there once a month. They kind of set that date and this is, and they gather together with their families, with their groups of friends. And it is a ritual that strengthens Relationship. And we talked about this because um, you think about on their Sabbath Eve, they put on their finest clothes. They come to the place that is most holy for them. That's where they go. And they come there and it, it's not quiet. It's not, it's sacred, but not in a quiet way. Yeah, there are singers um, and dancers and trumpeters. Sing. It's yeah. actually very loud, but it's a sacred loud. Yeah. Uh, like it, it just fills you up. There's excitement. There's anticipation. They cannot wait for Sunday. And it starts right when the sun goes down. As soon as they see three stars in the sky, all of a sudden it just erupts in this celebration that we get to have Sunday tomorrow, which I thought to myself, Sabbath tomorrow. uh, Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. We get to have Sabbath tomorrow, which I was thinking to myself when I had teens, Saturday night did not look like that. (laughs) <laughs> we were not super excited that it was going to be Sunday tomorrow. And they were begging to stay out later. And they were like, it, they weren't dressed in their finest bringing in this um, religious moment. They were, we just lived, we just lived, you know? And it was so interesting to me to think to myself, would there be a people that would seriously set aside for us a Saturday night to prepare to bring in the Lord's day. Like it was so crazy to us when we sat there and watched it and just thought yeah. this is actually part of their culture and their society is to spend an evening 
preparing for the Lord's day. And it just, it was so something I have never experienced before. Right. Just a perfect example of, we witnessed what you're reading right here, uh, still alive and well today, which gives a lot of like promise and hope mm. that it's just like, you can create this. You can yes. kindle this. Yes. You can, you can, you can yeah. replicate it. Yeah. We in, could in your figure own... out how to replicate it. And the, and the thing for me that was so sweet is it was every age. Um, for us, probably the funnest age group to watch at the wall on a Friday night for them. It's a Friday night because um, Saturday is the Sabbath. Were the kids who were between the ages of 15 and 24. And they and 25 would, 25. Would start, <laughs> I don't know. They would start singing and they would run from everywhere, even if they didn't know each other, even if they were strangers, but there was something that connected them in worshiping together. Yeah. They would run from everywhere to join that group, that circle, that people singing. Um, but then the reason why my mind went to 25, because there were also for me watching these young mothers who would sit down in these white chairs and they would have their strollers and they would have babies on their laps and in here and they would have their scriptures and you would just watch their mouths move. They just were reading. You could just see them read and their babies watching them mm. read. That's sweet. At that place that I was like, and they all were different. There was singing, there was scripture reading, there was people praying. praying yeah. Um, they're just uh, but families and community, and you just love that maybe this is what Hezekiah is setting up in the kingdom. And then what happens is Hezekiah is going to get really sick. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's just okay. introduce this verse since we're there before you jump over to that one. Um, because it just sums up everything that we just taught. And it's his hero verse right mm. here, Second Chronicles 31. And it says, And oh, yeah, thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and he wrought that which was good and right and true before the Lord. Isn't that cool? He's like, I just wanted to do that which was good and right and true. And in my day, it looked like this. And I think he would speak through time and say, and what's it look like in your day to do that which is good and right and true before the Lord. And in every work in 21 that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. And that's our line for Hezekiah is that everything he does, um, he does with all his heart, that passion of a uh, member yeah, of a mighty man of, of valor. Of valor. Um, so he gets really sick and the prophet comes. Um, Hezekiah's prophet is Isaiah. So that is a good connection point for us because we read about Isaiah. Hezekiah and Isaiah are friends. Isaiah comes and he says, listen, you are sick unto death. You need to put your house in order because you are going to die and not live. This is in 2 Kings 20, verse 2. And so he turned his face to the wall and he prayed unto the Lord and he said, Lord, remember how I've walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart and I have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And I just, I love this moment because I love when he's so like human. He's so vulnerable. He's just yeah. like... He, Isaiah comes and says, listen, you got to get everything in order. You're not going to make it through this. And I love that he just turns to the wall in his bed and he just weeps. And he, and he's like, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm done yet. And he prays to the Lord and Isaiah leaves. And then it tells us in verse five that before he can get out of the palace, the Lord comes to Hezekiah and says, turn again. And I mean, he comes to Isaiah and he says, go back 
tell Hezekiah, turn again and say, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal thee. And he comes back in and tells him, and he says, I will add to your days 15 years and I'm going to deliver you out of the hand of Assyria, right? This is the, this is the big fight that is coming and I will defend this city. And then he tells Isaiah what, what that healing process is going to look like and how to help him. So Hezekiah heals and then that great battle is going to come. And we read about that actually in the chapter before is when this battle is going to come. And I love what Hezekiah does here because in verse chapter 19, verse three, um, Hezekiah says, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. And uh, like, we're going to have to be delivered right now. And he doesn't know what he's going to do, but he, he starts to pray and they come to Isaiah and Isaiah says, don't be afraid of what you've heard. Um, you, you got to believe in the Lord and just trust in him. And so I love what happens because there's been this letter that comes to Hezekiah from the enemy and, and he's looking at it and it's so overwhelming to him. And we love what he does in this moment because in second uh, Kings 19, 14, Hezekiah receives the letter and he reads it and then he goes up into the house of the Lord. I love that. He's like, the best thing to do is just remember if I go to the Lord's house, if I pray in this house, this is what is the promise is. I know the dedicatory prayer. And then listen how cute this is. And he spread it before the Lord. Who loves it? He's like, okay, this is the letter I got. Let me just lay it out so you can read it. This is my favorite part that he's like, okay, can you see it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, what should we do here? I just love that he's like, here, could, could you get in this with me? Because I have this letter. So I don't know what to do. And Hezekiah prayed. And, um, and he said, can you come and help us? And then in verse 20, it says, um, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that which thou hast prayed, I have heard. And I just love that everything Hezekiah does, same as Jehoshaphat, he took it to the Lord. Um, we had the opportunity in Israel to walk through Hezekiah's tunnels, which is a crazy opportunity. And hopefully one day you'll have it. But what happened is, um, Hezekiah knows about, just like we know in the Book of Mormon, all someone has to do to take a city is surround it and make sure you can't get water or food. And eventually you will give up the city. And Hezekiah wants to solve that problem. So he goes out and he finds this spring and he decides what I'm going to do outside the city is I'm going to dig a tunnel for the water to be able to come into the city and secretly. And then we will have a constant supply of water and no one will ever get us. So he's like, you guys start up here and start digging and you guys start here and start digging and meet. And like, how did they do that? Yeah. It's so crazy. And when you walk through the tunnel, everyone, it doesn't, it's not straight. Like they just met. It's like, this is what is happening like this. And then eventually they do get together, but how did they even do it? How did they figure it out? You walk through the tunnel and the number one word in your mind is how. And I just think to myself, I wish we had more of this story because it has to be. And remember when Elon said that, our tour guide, he says, and that story is written in another book. Yes. Like almost as if like, we're still waiting to find out the details. Yes, of, of how did he do cool that? Story. But it's Hezekiah. So you know, he what turned he to the wall. He laid out the papers. He was like, this is what I'm trying to do. How are these guys going to meet? How are they going to meet? And somehow God 
helped him. And I think about that he's such a great example of hear him. Mm-hmm. He's such a great example of I have got to learn how to harness the spirit, how to let God give instruction for my life. That is who Hezekiah is. And and I just love that concept of laying it out before yes. the Lord. Just yeah. whatever it is that you're facing, whatever your problem is. Like I'm even tempted, just so you know, to write it out. And I have before. Yes. Write out prayer and just like lay it, just lay it out and say like, just to help focus my mind and yeah. heart on on what this is. It's such a good idea. Um, there's this reaction after he, you know, is comforted by the Lord. I love this part in Second Chronicles when he takes the answer to the people. Um, in Second Chronicles 32, there's a line here that just I I just struck me actually riding the bus over in Israel on the way to the tunnel. Mm. I was like, ah, I, why I've never seen that before. But he tells everyone in seven, be strong and courageous. Yes. Be not afraid nor dismayed, nor all the multitude for all the uh, of Assyria or all the multitude that's with him. For there be more with us than with him. We've heard that line before, uh, and 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 that just that whole idea because the king of Assyria said to all the people, like, what other nation has stopped us? What other god has been able to stop us? And so I love he comes. He's be, be strong, be of courage, because he says in eight, this is why you can with him is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And I want to believe he got that from Jehoshaphat. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, where he's just yes. like, um, I've seen this before. And then this line. And the people rested themselves upon mm. the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And um, what a privilege that is to, to know inspired people and to have access to inspired words um, that we can rest on, mm. where we can say, like, um, take the words and the promises yep. that have been given. And just like, I am actually going to lean on to that because mm-hmm. I don't have the strength, you know, to to be courageous. But yep. I can rest on that one line of scripture. I can rest on that one promise in a blessing. I can rest on um, the, the words uh, spoken from the pulpits in October. I, you know, I yeah. can just, uh, I'm going to lean on and rest on that one. And I think that's such a, that's such a powerful lesson in there too. Okay. That's Hezekiah. Oh, and we did his thing already. Mm-hmm. Yep. 31, 21 is him. Okay. Now we're going to our third hero of the day. Um, his name is Josiah and he is actually the grandson of Hezekiah. So you have Hezekiah, and then right after Hezekiah, his son, and his son kind of reverses everything that he did. And then um, when that guy's dead, bless, he has a son whose name is Josiah and actually starts his reign as a little kid. He is little. And if you go to 2 Kings uh, 22, it's where you first meet this guy named Josiah. And you'll see really, really similar language. Isn't it cute? He was eight years old when he started to reign. And, uh, and he reigned for 30 years, 31 years in, in Jerusalem. I also like that they all say the name of their moms. Did <laughs> yes, you notice that? Yes. Whenever they introduce the kings, they're like, it's like homecoming where you come out with your mom. <laughs> Whatever. You know, and it's just like, and also there, here is their mom. Um, so you know who to blame um, or congratulate. So... Um, you meet him in 22 and he starts this reign and he, and he begins to do the same kind of things that he saw his grandpa do, um, that he's seen past kings of his kingdom do. A couple verses about him that we love in 22, 19, it says, um, this is what the Lord says to, um, 
to Josiah, because thine heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard it and spake against the inhabitants, I have heard thee. And we love just trying to create a picture of what Josiah was like. And one of the things that we know about him is that he had a, a tender heart. Another cool thing about Josiah's story that's really awesome is in that next chapter, 2 Kings um, 23. If I didn't say 2 Kings 22 on the last one, that's what I meant. Mm -hmm. But 2 Kings 23, he is restoring the temple again. And everything that his father like had messed up and built all this stuff, he's knocking all that stuff down and restoring and cleaning out the temple, like everything his dad brought in. And in the cleaning out process, they actually find um, a scroll. They find a book. And most Bible scholars think it's the book of Deuteronomy. It's a retelling of the covenant relationship and, and the, the law of the Lord. And so he actually gathers together everybody all together in the temple. And he reads them the words of that book. And he reads them the law. And he, and he talks them about that. And um, I've lost like their reaction verse. I love this part. Is it? Is there any chance it's in Second Chronicles 34? Maybe, yeah. Okay, because this is so cute because he reads it to all of the people and it tells us all his people, great and small. He oh, yeah, read this it in is their it. ears, this is all it. the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And then I love when it says this in verse 31, Second Chronicles 34, 31, and the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart. You just love these three kings. And to perform the words of the covenant, which were written in the book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God. And I just love that he stood in his place and everyone else agreed to stand to it. Don't you love that? Yeah. And uh, there's these Old Testament videos that were made for mm. seminary. And there's <laughs> so one with Josiah. Right no, no, they were, they were recent. Okay. <laughs> I mean, more recent. <sighs> But there is a scene where he reads the scroll to mm. everybody. And then it's awesome because there's a guy who's standing in the crowd when he's reading it. And he has on this like necklace pendant of a, of a pagan god. And right when he's done reading it, he like rips it off of his neck Aww. and throws it down. And then it kind of shows the, the change of, of the kingdom. And, and I think that's one of the powerful lessons from this is just that, that what the word of the Lord can inspire and ignite and and move and stir up in people's yes. hearts is is fascinating and, and amazing. And we've talked about this so many times and and it's it's oh so awesome to talk to people who study along with our community and and will stop us at the grocery store or baseball games mm -hmm. or, or whatever and and um and it's neat because you can see the evidence of what the word of the Lord yes. is doing in people's lives. And it's like, it's never about us, you know, like, yeah. and um, it makes me tear up. I met someone yesterday. I didn't even tell you about this in Smith in the produce, um, a lady I've never met before. And I was I walking in and she looked at me and then she looked twice and then she <gasps> like this yeah. and she grabbed my hand and she, this is what she said. This is all she said to me. I have never read the scriptures before in my life. Mm. And whenever people say that to me, it just makes me want to tear up. Yeah. Uh, like if, if nothing else, if no other good in the whole world that we ever do, the fact that someone would open their scriptures and read, like, is there a greater purpose? Yeah, you know, no. is there a greater cause? And, um, and then she just said to me, I just want you to know 
I love my scriptures now. And then she just walked away. That was the whole conversation. But I just love that thought. It kind of is like Josiah. I've never read the scriptures before. And then and what Here a change it stirs in him. And yes. they were locked, they were stuck away in the temple somewhere and she was in just a closet. She's so sweet about it. Her, she just teared up of mm-hmm. like how precious now that his words were to her. And like, is there a better day than that? No, that is awesome. And now you want to ask her, which ones are you resting on? Oh, well. You know, she has I'll some. I'll have to look for her. It um, his verse is in 2 Kings 23 25. And it says, and like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart mm. and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. That he read those words and he said, I'm, I'm going to live these. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. And that word turn is really powerful. And it's our word for today, for everybody, um, for everybody, for all these people, <laughs> because like, it fits all their stories. And for all of us, the word is to repent, but you know that Hebrew word shuv, to turn back, to carry back again, to fetch home. That's such a good line. Yeah, to that go is back such again, a good line. I'm to so recall, to recover, to refresh, to rescue, to restore, to return. That's isn't, the best that awesome? definition of repent ever. Right. Somebody should just pick one of those and use them as synonyms every single time. You know, to fetch back home, you know, and that's what these kings did. That's what these kings did. That's what the prophets tried to get that northern kingdom to do, to fetch back home, to restore, to yeah. remember, you know, and the people actually listened and they turned back and, and they did. And that's what is going love, to make that northern kingdom last longer. And I love southern, that southern the southern kingdom. And I love that um, what it says in our scripture we picked is turn ye. Don't yeah. you love that that is a really great synonym for repent? It's just turn you. Yeah, and interestingly, that's in the chapter that we started with. That in scripture, Kings yeah, 2 Kings 17, you know, 13. And that was the call of all the prophets and the seers that came. They said, turn ye. You, and the fact that you can is so awesome. Yeah. Turn you back. Now, so we've had these three kings, these good kings. We, we wanted you to see that for the Southern Kingdom, there were some periods of time that, yeah, were, that were good where they just, they turned back again. They repented. They, um, they loved the Lord, but then we're going to end in the same place we began. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to go to second Kings 25 in just a second. Um, and now this is where you get, um, Oh, let's show what that piece of paper the tip in okay so do you want um yeah just take that up there this is the one that you're going to put into second kings 25 to show you the timeline of what we're talking about it's like a mini timeline now your big time yeah of your big one that you can slide it in here's where the kingdom split down here this is all the stuff that has happened so far then the kingdom split here's where assyria comes that's the 10 tribes are scattered that's the end of the northern kingdom then we're going to, we're following right now the Southern kingdom. So we're going to be right here next week. We're going to be right here. So we're going to be following this happening. But what happens for the Southern kingdom first right here is Babylon is going to be conquered. Um, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That's what's going to happen. Okay. And that happens in second Kings chapter 25. But before we go there, we want to take you over to the book of Mormon. Because this is where the two books stories collide. 
So right here in 2 Kings 25, you're going to read about a king whose name is Zedekiah. And you see right at the beginning of 1 Nephi chapter 1, in the reign of Zedekiah. That's what you find out right at the very, very beginning, that this is the time period. That's 1 Nephi 1 verse 4. During that first reign, year of the reign of Zedekiah, we're going to see his name in, in just a second. They're going to leave. They're going to leave the southern kingdom. They're going to leave Jerusalem because the prophets have warned the same thing that happened to the northern kingdom is going to happen to you. You know, and so they, the Lord member commands them to, to leave and says, this city's going to be destroyed like the Northern Kingdom. And everyone's like, no way, Jose, you know, or whatever they say. Um, there is an interesting line when they're out in the woods or not the woods, the desert, the wilderness. They would have liked the woods. Yeah, they would have loved it. They could have had hammocks. Um, they're out there and there's an altercation between Laman and Lemuel and Nephi, like, you know, and they respond to him like this. 1 Nephi 17, 21, and it says, Behold, these many years we have been suffering in the wilderness, which time we might have enjoyed our possessions and the land of our inheritance. Yea, we might have been happy. That's what they said. You brought us out into the desert and, and we left all our stuff and we could have been happy. We could have been happy. Instead, we have to be hungry and thirsty and bored in the desert. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I just want you to, in, in your mind, camera one over here in the wilderness, them in their tents, <laughs> so sad about the way that they're living. And you love that. And we might, we might have been, have been happy. happy. Now come back to second Kings 25 um, and you meet Nebuchadnezzar. He is the king of the new big bad wolf of the Old Testament. They conquered Babylon is he's the king of Babylon and they conquered Assyria and now they're moving down to where they are. And I just want you to read some of these with me. Yeah, it's fun to start um, in this sec, uh, verse 2, chapter 25, verse 2. The city was besieged under the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Yeah, so, there he is. So here's your, like, connect. Okay, verse 4. Well, verse 3. A famine prevailed in the city. You could have been happy not eating. And there was no bread for the people. That's happiness. And the city was broken up and all the men of war fled by night, but through, through the two walls, the people bailed. And, and the king also tried to bail. And um, the army pursued after the king and they caught him and they took the king in verse five and they brought him to Babylon and they killed his sons in front of his eyes. And then they cut out his eyes. So that was the very last thing that he saw. And they took him away to, as a slave to Babylon. You could have been experiencing that, Laman and Lemuel. You could have been happy in having this. They burnt the house of the Lord down and the king's house and this verse nine and all the houses of Jerusalem and everybody's house burnt they with fire. And, and, and they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. And in verse 11, the people who were left in the city, the people who survived that, uh, and the fugitives that they caught, um, they all were taken captive away into Babylon to become slaves now in Babylon. So I choose you this day. <laughs> you know, you can have the tent in the desert, which, you know, I don't love camping. Um, or you can have this. It's just interesting that they're out there and they're saying, we listened to you and now our lives are worse because we listened to you. And it's like, that's actually not true, right? We have evidence of it right here that it's actually the Lord was protecting you. He was preserving you. And by listening to him, um, your lives were preserved, yeah. right? You were, um, you didn't have to experience 
all of this that that happens here. Um, it's a really, really sad ending. This is the, the destruction of the, the temple and the southern kingdom uh, in 586 um, BC and them taken away into Babylon and captive. Next time, we're going to talk about them getting to um, come, back. come back. So there is a restoration on the on horizon. the horizon. Yeah. So good. Okay. We'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.